Welcome to the Morning Recovery Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hagman. The Morning Recovery Podcast is dedicated to those of you out there still struggling. Be patient and gentle on yourself. I know, it's easier said than done, but those two things are so important in recovery. Patience can be bitter, but its fruit is sweet. In today's episode, I interview Alana. Alana's addiction requires daily self-control and planning because her drug of choice is food. During the course of the interview, we touch on how food is a necessity, and staying close to her program is a daily occurrence. So without further ado, here's my interview with Alana. Thank you for being willing to chat with me on this podcast. I'm so excited to hear your story and hear more about you. Okay, thanks for having me, Mark. Definitely. So first off, tell me about yourself. What's your your age? Where are you calling from? And any hobbies you might have? My name's Alana, 26. I live in outside of Toronto in Canada. And my uh, hobbies, I would say, are exercising outside. Uh, I like the idea of using the outdoors as my gym. I mean, that's a sort of a newer thing I've developed, but I really do love that. Uh, dance singing, playing music, and rap, actually. Really? Awesome. Yeah. I did not take you for a rap person, but I like that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. A lot of people don't, and I still feel silly talking about it, but it's something I started a couple months ago, and it's actually been um, a really great outlet. Oh, good. It's therapeutic for you? Mm-hmm, yeah. Very cool. How long have you been in recovery for? I would say I've been in the atmosphere of recovery for about two years or or more and then earnest recovery like committed paradigm shift recovery i think about three months now okay in smart recovery primarily yes very nice and what was your drug of choice Uh, my drug of choice is food to be specific about that it it's primarily um overeating uh, and generally that's uh carbs sugars wheat the simple, like what I, I use as a perfect example for me, and I think a lot of people could probably relate, is Tim Hortons. Because with Tim Hortons in, in Canada, I don't know, I think there's some in the States, but anyway, Tim Hortons sells all the basics, the breads, the sugars, the chocolate, the that stuff. Like uh. that is the real, yes. So I technically, I could overeat carrots or something, but the certain healthier foods don't lend themselves so well. So yeah, for me... My addiction is food. If I wasn't on a meal plan intentionally, then I would be eating from basically dawn till dusk. Gotcha, gotcha. So take me through the progression of your addiction. It's funny because my addiction actually started about nine years ago or so. I was in grade 11, and uh, I had... Basically, I had the first person I had a really strong feeling for. It didn't work out very well. And I got really depressed that summer. And it wasn't, oh, I just feel bad. It was truly like I had no emotions and I wasn't responding to anything the same way anymore. And then I just started eating and I didn't consciously think about it at all. I just, in grade 12, when I went back to school after going away for the summer, um, I just stopped hanging out with my friends and I just started spending lunches on my own and eating more and more. And when I look back before that, of course, I can see how food always played an important role. 
I mean, it might be a coincidence, maybe not, but my, my first memory is, is of eating, a, my mom making me a banana cake for my fourth birthday, and I didn't like it, and I felt bad. Oh. <laughs> but, but ever since then, it's funny, because when I rifle through my memories, I don't know if it's because my brain is literally different, or this is how it is, but I can think of most memories and most phases of my life to do with the food part of it. So in kindergarten, I remember, like, there was a fest. There was like a, a fair nearby one day, and I just remember the smell of popcorn and the cotton candy. And in elementary school, there were pizza days and beach days and like Halloween. And we had this skipping day where we get um, creamsicles at the end. And like once I was growing up a little more into high school, and I had my own disposable income, then I was relishing in that joy that a lot of people have when they're that age, which is going and get your own, getting your own food, getting McDonald's for yourself for the first time and like going out with your friends. And yeah. I just remember family barbecues. I was always, I loved meat and I loved desserts. And, but yeah, basically what happened fast forwarding to like grade 11 and 12 is that's when I actually started using it to cope with a deep feeling of rejection. I felt most of my life. Okay. And, yeah, and since then it, it just it it got worse and worse and worse until about a couple months ago. But how it escalated was basically instead of just you know eating a bit too much at the odd meal, it would just be like I wouldn't go to work or I would eat food in the bathroom sometimes, like in a stall, or I'd hide food in my pockets or. I'd always have a bag of something in my pocket whenever I was at work or at school or something. And I stopped talking to people. It started becoming hard for me to socialize. I couldn't relate to people anymore. And I would do things with people, like go to parties or hang out, because I knew there was food there, but not really because I wanted to hang out. Okay. Now, was there a rock bottom, or were there multiple rock bottoms? There were multiple rock bottoms. I like the phrases that people often throw around that, you know, every rock bottom has a trap door. You know, it's it's so true. um, With addiction, there's a comfort in the pain, and there's also this odd pleasure in it. And I think that's what, that's how the bottom can keep getting worse, because we can always go further. And I, or I don't want to say we because I want to speak for other people, but I felt like I could always go further because that part of me wanted to destroy me. So obviously I would keep pushing it. So I had many what I thought were rock bottoms. And the most recent one, which was the biggest shift, and I feel like truly changed me, was about three months ago or so. And basically what I had done was I'd started journaling my experience of uh, trying to heal myself from food addiction. So I would meditate or I would sit through the cravings as some people say you can just do to get through addiction. And I would take notes on it. And I was looking through my journals. And my whole intention of doing this was to prove to myself whether I could or not. Because... Other people said, some people said I could. In some circles, they said I could. In some circles, they said I never could. So I realized that the only person that I could trust to tell me for sure whether I could heal the addiction myself was me. So then I had always journaled uh, for a long time, but I started doing it earnestly because I wanted to look at my own writing 
and see what, like, it sounds a bit strange, but I wanted to look at my own writing and like look at me telling myself what was true, you know? And basically what happened was I looked through my journals in the past and year after year, it would be like November 2015, blah, 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 2016. And it was like, oh, I'm feeling so triggered today. I'm getting cravings. I really need to start eating less. And then basically I had this one day where I was trying to apply meditative techniques. And I was lying there trying to get through the cravings. And I just got up and I was writhing with anxiety and like I was sweating and I just was like shaking and I couldn't stop thinking of eating. And I just wrote down in my journal, I was like, I cannot do this alone. And I just like underlined it. And as simple as it was, I remember even now how hellish that feeling was because I realized that on my own, I don't know how addiction works, but for me, it's like a, it's like a demon feeling or like trauma that is so deep, I can't actually remove it. So that's that, that was my that, my worst rock bottom. But it was good because I realized that I was believing something that I thought was empowering. You know, I should be able to do this by myself. As cliche as it sounds, if I had cancer, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, I wouldn't be like, oh, I should be able to just, you know, meditate this away or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so basically, it was a horrible rock bottom. And the main reason why was because of how triggered I was. Just every possible physical thing you can think of, it was just painful. And I, I was just, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't sit through those things anymore. Like now I, I meditate through things sometimes, but it's because I'm facilitated by a program. But yes, that, that was my worst. I gotcha. I agree. Every rock bottom, there's there's possibly a trap door. I know I hit rock bottom and I thought, oh, on this rock, I'm going to build my house of recovery. And I thought I built it and there was a trap door. And then I ended up in the dark basement. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was yeah. like, oh, this is much further down and it's even darker down here. So I had to go all the way up in the stairs, which was not easy. Go all the way up just to try and yeah. enjoy the view. It's a it's a long journey. And I agree, there is trauma involved. We put ourselves through traumatic experiences or we put our body through trauma. So with every recovery, there is a healing process that has to heal those traumatic events or the traumas that we've put ourselves through. Right, exactly. So what's the main reason why you decided to quit? Um, I decided to quit, um, and for for me, quitting means binging, Um, because I remembered who I was before it, and I've always felt, even though I've wrestled between the polarities of self-loathing and self-exaltation, almost I knew that my most natural feeling towards myself is one that's loving and positive, and I I like myself. I actually think I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be me. And I felt like the only way that I could give myself the, the, the freedom and the ability to have the life that I wanted and to achieve my goals and to explore my potential was to stop wasting so much time and money and energy on something that was causing me to gain, like, so much weight and make me so lethargic and make it, it hard for me to even... I felt so embarrassed by it. And yeah, I, I figured, I mean, 
uh, an aspect that's kind of amusing to me is I was like, well, I'm not totally giving up because so, I can still eat. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not the worst hell of the world, right? Um, yeah. But but I knew that I, I really did have to come to a place where I wasn't trying to use something damaging to deal with something that's emotionally difficult anymore. That makes sense. So how do you go about living in a world where a McDonald's is on every corner and celebrations are centered around desserts, maybe cookies or ice cream or cake or cookie ice cream cakes, and yet food is a necessity. We need it to survive. In, in this world where food is so a part of everything, whether it's just hanging out or let's, oh, let's meet up for a cup of coffee. Let's go out for a beer, um, mm-hmm. you know, happy hour and yeah, Starbucks and McDonald's and, and restaurants everywhere. And it's interesting. So much of coping or celebrating, whether you're in a low emotional state or high goes to food. So some people joke about eating a whole tub of ice cream when they feel blue or when they're happy, they go out and get some drinks. And so, yeah, it is very much a part of the culture. I think it's because it's obviously something we require, but it's such a pleasure. Like, food, visually and sensually, like, it's such a lovely thing. So I don't begrudge at that, and I don't have negative feelings towards it because of that, because I think food's wonderful. Like, even when I cook myself very, something very healthy, I, I, I really enjoy it. But I found that we are all presented with a world around us that has, myriad opportunities and also dangerous paths and choices that can lead us to long-term benefit or short-term benefit for long-term costs. And for everybody, there's the same things around them generally. There's bad characters or there's drugs or there's alcohol, food, sex, whatever. And so I honestly think that the ball is in each person's court and the ball's in my court. So even though, yeah, there's food all everywhere, and when I go to social gatherings, people are a lot of time drinking or eating a lot. I know that, I know what I'm thinking. I know my intentions, and I know why I'm doing things. So as I, as I approach, like, maybe a home where there's a party and stuff, I can tell how I'm feeling, and I can tell which, one, which of my thoughts are going towards maybe a way of preparing a meal at the party that is using it as an addictive way. And one where it'll be healthy, but I can also enjoy the event. So basically what I'm saying is that I don't look at the world as, oh my gosh, it's bombarding me with temptation because everyone's bombarded with the same temptations. It's more that I have to look at myself and see where I'm receptive to it. Ah, that makes sense. And then from there, you can navigate through this world that is essentially centered around food. Exactly. And just for a moment, I I think for me that... Food is the main, almost the face of addiction for me. But addiction is for me is just wanting a pleasure to erase all pain, at least for as long as it'll last. So I can see how many other things, even if, for example, I'm not going to be eating a lot, you know, other things have tempted me since I've begun recovery, other addictive substances or other addictive things. And Again, it's just all about going into myself and looking at what that painful part is or what that denial is or what is that something in me that's making me do that? Because I feel like 
in the world as human beings on this planet, we have this interesting challenge where we can really rise and we can really actually have wonderful lives and transcend a lot of difficulty. But we have to be willing to study ourselves and to work through the things that don't work. And so I found that this has been really difficult, but also quite an amazing discovery and like amazing challenge to figure out how to relate to the pleasure, not just of food, but of of life as well, without allowing it to basically ruin everything. Mm -hmm. That's beautifully put. So what is your recovery program like now? My recovery program now is I eat four meals a day. And a day for me is basically between 12 a.m. Or, yes, 12 a.m. and 12 p.m. 12 12 a.m. and 12 a.m. I always get confused. Um, (laughs) So 24-hour period. And I look at it that way because, you know, sometimes with my, like I work in the film industry, so this crazy hours and also sometimes on Fridays I'll stay out really late so it's basically from morning till night I can have four meals and what four meals means to me is four times I stop to eat so a meal can literally be a couple crackers and cheese and a glass of milk I walk away from it and then that to me was one of my meals or it's you know a full full thing I don't have rules about what is in it in the past I had and what I didn't have was wheat, dairy, sugar and caffeine because all those things can be triggering for me and also they're not very healthy but what I've done through starting smart is I decided to approach recovery in my meal plan in the most allowing free way possible to start at least so I was like okay you know what For, I idealized the idea of having three meals a day but truly, realistically, with my lifestyle, four is better. Because four could even just be at the end of the day, I just have a glass of juice. And that saves me from the last five hours. Maybe I was out doing something. But yeah, I, I don't have the limitations on the, the ingredients right now just because there's so many variables all the time, like traveling or flying or it's not that I do those things all the time, but there's, I just didn't want to end up in a situation where I was before where I was reading every single package. And interestingly, anyway, now I'm at a point where my meals are getting healthier and healthier by the day. And those things are naturally dropping out. Like my brother made me a coffee this morning and I didn't want to drink it because I, I don't like how it makes me feel. And I often opt for things that don't have sugar. I try to avoid breads and stuff. So it, it is naturally going the way it was anyway. But as I said, I liked how free smart felt, the way smart is described. And the way Smart Recovery defines the freedom and choice of abstinence and recovery. And I didn't want to turn it into something I've experienced before by being extremely strict with myself. Mm, That makes sense. Now, did you end up getting help or did you try to deal with your food addiction all by yourself? A few years ago, um, I would say maybe four years ago, I started realizing that I had a problem with food. It's like I had been abusing food for a long time, but it was when I first realized, oh, I actually, like, this is something I, I'm noticing now, and I don't want to do this anymore. And I found that it was not as simple as just a choice to stop. I couldn't just be like, all right, I'm going to eat less tomorrow. And, well, <laughs> basically what happened to begin with was I would just alternate between binging and restriction. For a long time, I was 
eating a lot, and then I would just eat nothing all day, or I eat very little. And then I was bulimic for a short period of time. And I was trying different programs, eating disorder programs. So I tried an eating disorder program nearby, which taught me different skills to deal with the cravings and such. But I found that after the program was done, and it was six months, that I still felt that I couldn't truly apply all those things I learned, that they were useful, but they didn't, I didn't have almost traction. It's like I couldn't, or they weren't tangible, that's what I mean. They were there and they were useful, but I couldn't really use them. And so I, I tried for a really long time to heal by myself the last almost four years. But what I realized over time was that two things. One, I, I had a fantasy of healing myself from this thing. I had this idea that, oh, because I kind of started it, I can just end it. But it was also a certain level of alienation from my biology and my humanity that I wasn't just realizing that I live in a body that has limitations. If I'm outside in a certain temperature and don't have gloves on, I will get frostbite. I can't stop it from happening mentally. And it was a torturous process. It truly was. Trying to do it on my own was so hard. Even if I did have days, where I followed my meal plan, I was unhappy. I couldn't really experience much joy because it wasn't really going anywhere. The addiction wasn't going anywhere. It's just that it was dormant and I wasn't engaging in it. And I wasn't really able to change all this emotional stuff that really caused the problem. So Several months ago, I had a really odd experience. This was at the beginning of 2018, where because of a confluence of certain factors, some I can't understand, my actual addiction went away for about a month. Like, it was very weird. It just, the cravings were just gone. I don't really know how it happened. But basically what came up was all this emotional stuff I never realized was there. So much shame, self Hatred, self-loathing, hating my job, hating my life, like true guilt, like this horrible, horrendous, wretched feeling and I couldn't shake it and eventually the food came back. So basically, I did try for a very long time to do it by myself and I used a lot of money and, or I could say wasted, but I'll say spent a lot of money trying to do it by myself. And after a while, I just realized the immediate relief I would feel if I intentionally said to myself, I'm going to try a program. It's like the cravings would literally have in a moment just by knowing that. So what is your favorite tool in recovery? I would say my favorite tool is rationality. And I know that's probably an odd answer because there's different responses. There's journaling, meditation, there's the cost-benefits analysis, but rationality to me is so fundamental. It's like, it's like literally the cement. It's what brings everything else together. Um, not being fanciful about things, not uh, projecting myself away from difficult realities. For a long time, and I don't think I'm alone in this, I use spirituality to try to transcend or get away from addiction or heal myself because I thought, well, there's enlightened beings and 
I should be able to do that. And so many people who are quote unquote enlightened say that addiction just falls away with time. And, you know, if you just sit with it long enough, it'll, I, I don't know if what they're saying comes from experience, but I know for myself, that's not how it works. For me either. And, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And basically what happened, um, because I was, uh, in order to cope with, not primarily addiction, actually, but my uh, depression and other mental illness, I started getting really into spirituality for the last probably about six years or five years or something. And even though it gave me a lot of freedom and lightness and hope, it actually divorced me from basic realities about my life, needing to work and needing to face difficulties and obligations and the rules of living as a human being and starting in smart again and just being reminded constantly about thinking rationally and that rationality isn't just what makes sense but it's also what is helpful and what feels better that was a huge thing for me because one of the tools for example there's myriad tools like like the smart recovery handbook is like just a, it's like a tool book and one of the tools is uh, combating irrational beliefs. And it's not just a case of going, well, that doesn't make sense or that's stupid. But it's also like, well, that might be possibly true, but it's ruining my life. So, for example, I fell in love with somebody a couple years ago and or perceived I did. It's complicated with addiction. Sometimes it's hard to tell what's a real emotion and what's infatuation. No, she but, mean, yeah. Yes, but... I have had a really hard time letting that go. And what I realized with my beliefs about it, like we're meant to be and blah, 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 is I, I can't say for sure that I'm never going to be with this person. So it wasn't irrational in the sense that it's impossible, but it's more it's irrational in the sense that I don't know that that's true, that it's fantasy, and also that it's making my life a living hell. So... <laughs> Basically, yeah, it, it's just rationality. And, and, and another aspect I want to touch on with that, too, is that rationality isn't cruel, it isn't hurtful, it isn't personal, even. And I found in some other recovery programs I've used that I felt hurt so much by it. I felt hurt by the language and hurt by the concepts that I was this awful person and that what my problem made me a, a bad person. And in SMART, with just the concept of rationality, it's more that you're doing things that don't make sense. And you're actually often doing them for sensible reasons, but you're doing it wrong almost. So it's like you're trying to comfort yourself, which isn't necessarily bad, but the way that you're doing it is not actually comforting you. But yeah, I, I also use many other tools. So I, I use journaling and meditation, and my meal plan is also very supportive. But that's definitely number one for me is always approaching things more rationally. That's interesting. I've never heard somebody say that that's their favorite recovery tool before, but it makes perfect sense the way you've explained it. Just briefly, it's, it's, there's so much lore out there about how to relate to food. There's so many books, you know, the woman and food and food and the spirit. And there's so many ideas about following your instincts and eating all the colors of the rainbow or allowing your higher power to tell you, I don't know, whatever, whatever people want to do. But for me, I've just found that it's like, okay, sure, I might really want to eat 
the strawberry milkshake thing. And it might taste really good, whatever, but it's just, it's like it's too expensive or it's going to make me feel like crap or it's not, it's going to be like 600 calories and I'm not going to have any energy after. It feels weird for me personally to use rationality as my basic tool for everything, not just recovery, but uh, everything. Because normally I'm very whimsical with my choices. I'm like, well, I just felt like I should do it that way. Yeah. But that's <laughs> a big part of of why addiction doesn't get solved or healed properly is because of too much whimsical or nonsensical choices, right? True, true. So is there anything else you'd like to share before we close this? I'd say if I had something to share personally, I would say to trust yourself as a as an addict. I think with addiction... It feels like, at least I felt like I I couldn't trust myself. I could never trust myself. But trusting yourself doesn't just mean trusting your fantasies. So it's like if if everyone's saying maybe you should be in a program and you think you shouldn't, um, you can start by trusting that, sure. But if you keep trying it and it doesn't work, trust what does. And, you know, I was in other programs before SMART, and I just constantly, no matter how hard I did the program and worked for it, it it never felt I never felt recovered and I measure recovery with two things which is am I is the behavior improving and cravings decreasing and am I happier because I find that in a program you can feel happier and not really be improving or you can be improving with your substance but you don't actually really feel that happy so I just think that there's a a balance to be found in recovery where you can actually feel empowered and good about yourself, but also be acknowledging the difficult realities and the problems that need to be solved and your ability to solve them. I agree. Trusting oneself is, it's major in recovery. (laughs) And I mean, because we're all working our own programs and we need to trust that we are, we're doing the best we can with the tools that are given to us or the tools that we're able to acquire on one's own. So. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. It was a true pleasure talking, speaking to you over the phone. I almost said sitting down with you, but uh, you're up in Canada right now. So maybe one day. <laughs> well, technically, we are, we are both sitting down. But yeah, it's a pleasure also. Thank you <laughs> I'm much. standing. I don't know what you're talking about. No, no, no. <laughs> Power executive style. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, and you have a great day. Okay. You too, Mark. All right. I started this podcast with one goal in mind, and that was to help one person in recovery. I might not ever even meet this person, nor do I probably even know them. But I knew if I could help one person out there, I had to seize that opportunity. I hope the Morning Recovery Podcast can become a tool in your toolbox. I hope it helps empower you because we are all one day away from being back to day one. Episodes will be released once a week, possibly twice a week, and always without ads. Nobody involved with this podcast gets anything out of it except the chance for all of us to help one another on our journey through recovery. Each week's episode will will feature an interview and close with a different recovery quote. 
Today's quote is from Mark Twain. Courage is resistance to fear, not absence of fear. Thank you for listening and have a safe and sober day. Goodbye. Thank you.